to Scripture together. Our reading this morning is from the book of James. You'll be unsurprised to hear we're nearing the end of our time in James together. James chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 12. We're actually in the sermon only going to look at verses 12 to 13, but we will read a wee bit further on together. James chapter 5, verse 12, it's page 1216, 1216 in the Pew Bibles. James chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear not by heaven or earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Amen. Father, a huge prayer to pray that that we would invite you, that we would ask you to take all that we are and all that we have, that you would free us to spend ourselves fully, wholeheartedly in Christ's service. But Father, we recognize that it is by losing our lives that we find our lives. It is by giving ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ that we find life in all of its fullness and life which will live forever. So help us, Father, to to be found faithful in giving ourselves to the cause of the kingdom of Christ Jesus. Lord, work in our hearts and our minds that we might desire above all else to bring you glory, not just with our lips, but with our lives. And to that end, Father, meet with us as we spend this time together under the authority of your word. Meet with us, minister to us. We are hungry to hear all that you would say to us. We are eager to receive every good and gracious gift that you would give to us. So help us in the stillness to know that you are God, to be assured that you are with us and to rejoice in the reality of your love for us in Christ Jesus. 
we pray. Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of our journey through James. Uh, we're in chapter 5. We're looking at verses 12 and 13 today. And you'll remember, I'm sure, where we were last week as James encouraged us, as James summoned us to establish our hearts, to refuse to be blown about by the situations that we are called to face, by the battles that we are called to fight, by the circumstances that surround us, by the wisdom of the world which would seek to draw us away, to carry us along. The struggle we are called to endure. James says, establish your hearts, be rooted, be secure, be grounded, be stable, be strong in the knowledge that Christ will come again to make all things right, to make all things new. And let that vision of that great and glorious day strengthen you in this day, in the here and now, in the realities, the harsh realities of the life that you are living. And you might think that a fitting end to the letter as we look forward to the day that Christ will come again to make all things new. But verse 11 leads to verse 12. James brings us back down to earth, as it were, as he returns to one of his recurring themes, how we use our tongues, how we use our words. So verse 12, how we speak to one another, and verses 13 to 18, how we speak to God. Verse 12, above all, my brothers, sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. I hope we realize as we come to this verse that it's about something far more pertinent than whether or not we choose to take an oath with our hand in the Bible when we are giving evidence in court. That will be a real issue for some of us at some point in our lives. But this verse has something to say to all of us in all of our lives. The people to whom James wrote were making oaths to each other because they were unfaithful and untrustworthy. And they knew it. So they would say to each other, in the name of this or in the name of that, I swear in my own head or I swear in the name of Jerusalem or I swear in the Holy Scriptures that what I say is true. So the people hearing them would say, well, I know that Ross is an untrustworthy person, that we can't really believe what he says. It's unfortunate that Grace... <laughs> that, that Grace <laughs> question the authenticity of my illustration for the children's thought, but uh, you know, they would think, I, I know that Ross isn't really to be trusted, but surely he wouldn't invoke the name 
of the holy city of Jerusalem and then desecrate that name by telling me a lie. That's what they were doing. They were taking oaths so that people would believe what they were saying. Actually, as an aside, this sermon really belongs in with last week's sermon. And you'll see that from the way that the NIV is, is, is structured, that it's in the last chunk. There's a divide between 12 and 13. And that's right, because what James is saying here, really, is that we need to be patient. We need to persevere. We need to endure, even when it's hard. How do you get people to trust you? How do you get people to believe in you? Will you take the time over weeks and months and years to earn their trust by consistently telling the truth? People will learn that when you speak, you speak truthfully. When you commit to do something, you do it. They will learn over time that you are worthy of their trust. You don't need vows or oaths. You just need to say it and people will know it to be true. Not true for them though. They were making vows, they were taking oaths, they were taking things that were sacred and valuable and trying to cling on to these things to add weight to their words. Whether it was their own heads or the scriptures or the holy city of Jerusalem, they were taking these things to lend weight to the words that they were speaking. They were creating two tiers of truthfulness. There was what they say normally, which isn't really to be trusted, and then what they say under oath, as it were. And James says there's no need for that. You shouldn't have two tiers when it comes to your character, your integrity, your honesty. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's enough. It's as simple as that. I don't think we're quite as prone to, to that use of language. I swear on this or I swear on that. I remember it from childhood, actually. People swearing on, you know, the graves of their relatives and all these kind of things. I don't think we're as apt to do that as they were in those days. But we're still experts at sort of creating grey areas where there should only be black and white. So, so we might speak of a white lie, you know, or being uh, economical with the, the truth. I know I said this. I know I did that. But I didn't promise it. I didn't take an oath, I didn't make a vow, so it doesn't really matter. Or I told a lie, but it was just a wee white lie. 
Or I made a promise, but it wasn't a pinky promise. Just tell the truth. Be tactful. Be loving. Don't go home in response to this sermon to phone your friend and to say, you know how those new jeans you got? And I said, they look nice on you. Well, actually, the truth is, don't, don't do that. Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. So make that your goal. Be a person who's filled with grace and with truth. And carry these things together. Don't hold them in opposition against each other. Grace and truth. Two-tiered level of honesty is not good enough for a believer in Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Two-tiered level of, of honesty is not good enough for those who would claim to have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're called to be a faithful people. And it's not good enough for the child of God, certainly not the, the God for whom it is impossible to lie. So live a life, again, I'll say it, live a life which is consistent with what you claim to believe with who you claim to be as a child of God, as a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, as a follower of Jesus. And I say you, but I mean us. Me too. This is a challenge. To be consistently honest, truthful. To make our yes, yes, and our no, no. To build a character of integrity and trustworthiness, to be faithful to that which we say. It's a challenge, but it's a noble one. It's a great one. It might not make the hairs on the back of your neck stand on end. You know, you don't, it's not like I'm standing here saying we need to, 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 to give all the money that we have to the poor, or we need to leave our lives and to go to some far-flung country as a missionary. Maybe I could tell a story like that and we'd be like, that's so exciting. That's incredible. Tell the truth doesn't get that kind of response, does it? But this is a great challenge and a noble challenge to build a character which is honoring to God which enables people to trust us, which speaks of the faithfulness of our God. And the reward is great. The reward is a simple life. We don't have to worry that we'll tie ourselves in knots. We don't have to remember what we said to this person against what we said to that person. We just tell the truth. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't put us in a very good light, we just tell the truth. And over time it becomes a wee bit easier and a wee bit easier because we're used to it and we see the faithfulness of God as we tell the truth. It gives us a simple life. It gives us a peace that we can't know if we're always manipulating the truth. 
simple life, peace, and what the Bible calls blessedness, life lived with the smile of God resting upon us. It's worth it. It's tough, but the Spirit of God will help us and lead us to this life of simplicity, this life of peace, this life of blessedness. So how should we speak to each other? Truthfully, honestly, faithfully. How are you doing? How are you doing? Are you a truthful, honest, faithful person when it comes to the words that you speak? Or is there room for improvement, room for growth? So, that's speaking to each other. How are we to speak to God? Verse 13, is any one of you in trouble, he asks. We know that these believers were no strangers to trials and to troubles. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. He doesn't say, is any one of you really in, in terrible trouble? Is it really, really bad Really, really big. And are you sure that you've not used up your prayer quota this month? If you tick all of those boxes, then pray. He doesn't say that. James has already told us that God is the God who gives more grace. He doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of goodwill to his children. He doesn't say that's enough. He doesn't get exasperated. He's not busy with other stuff. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. It's as simple as that. Let it not be said of you or of me that we have not because we ask not. Neither does James say, is any one of you in trouble and you've tried asking everyone else for help? You've tried doing all that you can do with your own reserves of strength and wisdom and it's not worked. Well, all else has failed, therefore you should give prayer a shot just on the off chance something might happen. He doesn't say that. Sometimes we can be too pray, proud to pray. We can be reluctant to admit that we are not God of our own lives. That is a defective view of God, the view that says somehow He is less loving and less interested in His children than we are in ours. It is a defective view of God that says we don't really need Him until we're at the very end of ourselves. We need Him every moment of every day. He is always with us. His love is never changing because it's dependent upon His nature and His nature is never changing. 
And so we can always go to him when we're in trouble. We can always pray to him. There are other ways that we can use our tongues when we're in trouble, of course. We can grumble. We can moan. We can complain. We can lash out at others. We can even lash out at God. Remember Job's advice, Job's wife's advice to him. It's enough. Just curse God and die. Just be done with it. James says, put your words to good use and pray. He doesn't tell us what we are to pray, but I think our natural instinct would be to pray that God would deliver us from our trials and our troubles. And that's a good thing to do. Biblical examples abound. David says, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. Recognize your weakness, rejoice in his strength, and ask him to lift you out of your troubles. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Request deliverance, but also remember that the Lord uses trials and troubles in our lives to develop perseverance, which develops character. We've read about that in James already, haven't we? And it may be God's will not to deliver us quickly, but to lead us through our troubles, to walk us through the valley of the shadow of death, as it were, step by step, day by day. That was Paul's story, wasn't it? When it came to his thorn in the flesh, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So pray that the Lord would deliver you from your trials, from your troubles, but also pray that if it's His will to, to take you through, that you would, you would see and experience the sufficiency of His grace. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. And if you can't pray because you're too tired or you're too frightened or it's just all too much, then my advice, and I'm stepping out of the passage before us here, so be uh, aware of that, but my advice would be to read the Psalms. Uh, I've said many times that, that Scripture is more honest than many Christians are. The Psalms are brutally honest about all of life. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows are there. And you'll find yourself just reading the Psalms, but before long you won't be reading the Psalms, you'll be praying the Psalms because what the Psalmist is saying is exactly how you are feeling. They will give a voice to your feelings before God. So my advice would be to turn 
to the Psalms and just to read, just to read. There may be moments where, you know, through serious ill health, physically or mentally, that, that even that's just too much. And in those moments, my advice would be just to ask others to pray. And in those moments, the knowledge that others are just carrying you with their prayers, it's a wonderful thing. I wouldn't embarrass this person by naming them, but before I went for the, the, the second operation, I remember standing there and someone in this church came to me and said, we'll carry you through this on our prayers. And that was such an encouragement to me, not, not just in that moment, in that place, but through everything that then went on, uh, through the operation, through the aftermath of the operation, because there were times that it was hard for me to put two words together in my mind. But I remember that promise, we'll carry you through in our prayers. So value prayer. It's a great gift. And remember the nature of the God to whom you pray. Is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. As Christians, I think it would be fair to say that we often fear troubles too much and fear times of happiness too little. Uh, times of trouble are opportunities for us to see God work wonderful deliverances. Or there may be times where we are able to see the sufficiency of His grace as He leads us through trouble step by step. There are opportunities for us to grow and to develop and to mature. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. We fear, I think, trials and troubles too much, but we fear happiness and comfort too little because it's in these times that we are most in danger of drifting away from God. We are most in danger of forgetting how much we need Him. There is danger that we forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above. There is danger that we might think we don't really need God. Everything seems safe and secure. Everything seems in its right place. The sky is blue. Uh, the sun is shining. The birds are singing. And we begin to drift to sleep spiritually uh, and just float away off course, forgetting who we are called to be in Christ. A great shield against the enemy of complacency is praise. Praise is much more than that but it is a great shield against the enemy of complacency. 
we remind ourselves of the greatness of God, of the love of God, of all that God has done so graciously, so lovingly for us in Christ. We remind ourselves of how much we need Him every day. We remind ourselves that every breath in our lungs, every beat of our hearts is a gift from His good and gracious hand. Praise is a great gift, and it's a great shield against complacency. And again, if I might drift slightly out of the passage, just to give you a piece of my own advice, which carries no real authority behind it, if you're struggling to praise, then there is an abundance of helpful resources for us in the country that we live in. We are able to buy Christian CDs, we are able to stream Christian music. We are able to freely come here to praise Him and then to carry the songs that we have sung together here with us through the week. Uh, we have our Bibles in our own language which we can pick up and read and may ought surely to lead us to praise. So praise Him. And if you're struggling, avail yourselves of one of these things which will help you to praise Him. In all of life, in all of the struggles and the trials and the joys and the triumphs, uh, everything in between, in all of life, make sure that God is central. Calvin says, there is no time in which God does not invite us to Himself. We'll say yes to that invitation wherever you are, whatever you're facing. Alec Motyer says in his uh, commentary in this passage, both in periods of suffering and trouble and in times of joy, prayer and praise alike acknowledge that He is sufficient. To pray to Him is to acknowledge His sovereign power to meet our needs and to praise is to acknowledge His sovereign power in appointing our circumstances, whether as a source of supply and need or the source of the gladness of our joy, God is our sufficiency. That's good, and it's true. We can praise Him in suffering too, like Paul and Silas when they were so unjustly in prison. And what a witness that was to those around them. And, and when we are Christians and we're living with a joy, we're living praising God, it's a wonderful witness to, to, to those around us. We can praise Him uh, in times of trouble, in times of, of, of suffering too. But it's in our happier times that we need to, need to be most vigilant, lest we forget His goodness and His nearness. So whatever you are facing, joy or sorrow, He is in Christ with you, He is in Christ for you, and He is worthy of your prayer and of your praise. So use your words wisely and well in a way that brings honor and glory to His name. How to speak 
to others consistently, faithfully, truthfully, without requiring oaths or vows, just letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Simple as that. And how to speak to God by praising and praying in a way which honors Him for His goodness and His grace. And so we close our time together by doing what we have been saying that we must do. We stand to sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, worship His holy name.